0: So um, I actually want to look at Psalm 17, which is a a prayer in the face of threats. So reading the portion I want to focus on is from our reading today by Didi, who who really deserves an Academy Award for for kids minute today. I thought is spectacular, but um, but it's got a phrase in it that I wanted to focus on. Um, and it's a phrase that I first heard. I didn't I didn't know it was in the Bible, uh, but my late wife Nancy would call, um, every now and again, she'd call one of the kids the apple of my eye. It was, it was very endearing. And when uh, Amy and Judy were visiting recently, we found out, uh, we found an old uh, video, and my wife Julia had a VCR, you know, VHS player or whatever, which is amazing, and we we watched this great video of their mom, and um, they got you know they got to comparing notes of mom stories, and it turns out they didn't know that the other was also called the apple of their mom's eye, and each was a little miffed. I think they were feigning being miffed, but you know, a grain of uh, reality in it. Um, since I never metaphor, I didn't like. I was like, what What do you think that even means? The apple of the eye. And Judy said, well, we had always had that apple tree, and mom told me it meant of all the apples on the tree, you're the one that caught my eye. So, um, you know, events of recent days, I don't know, weeks, months, years, we could say at this point, uh, and, and the very particular rising anguish of some people uh, near and dear to me, and my own distress, drew me this week to Psalm uh, 17. And lo and behold, this is the psalm where that image comes from. Uh, but but it's in a really different context than I expected. It's in the context of a prayer to God in the face of enemies. And by enemies, they don't mean some fake war on Christmas they hear about on cable news. They mean real enemies, mortal ones, implacably hostile and dangerous enemies. So here's the portion again. I think... Um, I think our reading was in the Robert Alter translation. This is in the Jewish Publication Society um, translation. Display your faithfulness in wondrous deeds, you who deliver with your right hand those who seek refuge from assailants. Guard me like the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my mortal enemies who encircle me. So to give this image its emotional impact from the context of the psalm, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the, the psalm, most of it anyway. The psalm opens with a prayer who has like lots of moxie before God. And th- this is so typical of the psalms. There's, there's like no groveling pretense in this person's prayer. Hear, O Lord, what is just. Heed my cry. Give ear to my prayer, uttered without guile. So the tone is unapologetic, it's insistent, you could say it's bossy. It's a tone you might use when you're mad or afraid or both, and both are usually this case, and, and some of your frustration is aimed at God, and you mean business. This assertive tone continues in the next verses. My vindication will come from you. I, I get the feeling of it's like, my vindication better come from you. Your eyes will behold what is right. You have visited me at night, probe my mind. You have tested me and found nothing amiss. I determined that my mouth should not transgress. As for man's dealings, in accord with the command of your lips, I have kept in view the fate of the lawless. My feet have held to your paths. My legs have not given way. I call on you. You will answer me. God, turn your ear to me hear what I say. So just, I just want to comment on this. Some, you know, pretty common, but but I think distorted versions of Christianity or Christian piety seem to think that um, playing the abject sinner is, is somehow pleasing to God or is going to get us a hearing or is, I don't know, virtuous in some uh, religious way. Like, oh Lord, I am not worthy to... Come to your table. I'm I'm lower than the lowest skunk in hell, but you haven't struck me down yet. So here goes. You know, a little exaggeration, I'll admit, but you get the gist. Maybe you've you've uh, experienced this form of piety. Still, this this psalm and many others assert innocence before God, not guilt. The I'm guilty psalms are the exception not the rule, and they have to do with acts of, of wickedness, not everyday sin, like King David using his power to take Bathsheba and kill her husband. But this psalmist has been surrounded by enemies. Think the Ukrainian people assaulted by by Putin. And, and enemies of this sort always resort to a stream of propaganda lies to justify their atrocities and and deaden the conscience of their enablers and their supporters when that or something on that threat continuum especially involving hostile forces of some kind doesn't have to be an army but but like your alarm system is activated and and the threat is real it's no time to get scrupulous before god as if you're like a 7 year old preparing for their first communion, going to confession, trying to like conjure up some sins to confess. You're in a battle uh, with powerful propaganda, with lies that wicked enemies are using in their hostility. That's your time before God to assert your innocence and not to focus on your petty failings. So again, we're using the uh, Jewish publication translation for the ensuing verses, these would be verse seven to 12. Display your faithfulness and wondrous deeds, you who deliver with your right hand, those who seek refuge from assailants. Guard me like the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my mortal enemies who encircle me. Their hearts are closed to pity, they mouth arrogance. Now they hem, hem in our feet, at every side they're trying to limit our options they set their eyes roaming over the land he is like a lion eager for prey a king of beasts lying in wait so hold on to the eye apple image for a little longer till we um, finish the context which is the experience of threat that has someone praying like this um you know, we we know we know less than we'd like to about the history of ancient Israel. Um, we don't know if the Book of Exodus is historical or not. We we don't have corroborating um, historical evidence for that period. Um, at least at least there's uh, none discovered uh, to date. There 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 is some for the time of the kings, and for the first temple. That's after the period of of the Exodus. There's more still for the Assyrian invasion of Israel, even more for the Babylonian invasion, uh, the destruction of the first temple, the deportation of the Jewish elites into Babylon. And that's where these Psalms come from, that that latter period, maybe 500 BC or so. Uh, the people who experienced the Babylonian trauma with the collective memory of the Assyrian trauma in their in their collective memory so to speak so we're talking about the kind of trauma from uh, you know in the united states context it would be like uh, the greenwood massacre in tulsa oklahoma that that was like that happened three years before my my mother was born it's not that far away or the or the trail of tears or the uh, abuse that led to stonewall the stonewall uprising in in what 1969 and it's not like all that that hate has just evaporated. This is the sort of experience that gave rise to this collection of prayers we call the Book of Psalms. And what we now know about trauma is that many other forms of violence or hostility or threat are part of that, that trauma continuum, that experience of trauma. You see all that reflected in the language uh, here um, that I just read. and And that's what prompts this prayer, guard me like the apple of your eye. So according to Robert Alter, the uh, scholar of ancient Hebrew that I'm a big fan of, the apple of the eye was the pupil. It was the very center of the eye. So I was, uh, I was playing with my daughter Grace when she was about, I don't know, six or so, um, and young athlete that she would become, uh, Grace fired a tennis ball at me, like at close range. We, we were throwing it around. We were, you know, pulling around. She, she fired this tennis ball at me, and it hit me right in the apple of my eye. I mean, you know, there was no protection from my, you know, bone eye orbit. It was just pow. It was followed by a flash of light and searing pain that like last, lingered for a while. I mean, I was afraid to open my eye when the pain finally ebbed because I thought I might have lost my vision in that eye. The ancients didn't have glasses or protective eyewear. You know, know, they didn't have sunglasses for the blazing sun of the Judean wilderness. Um, They didn't have cataract surgery for the elderly. Um, the elderly Isaac, I think it was in Genesis, can barely see, probably from thick cataracts that allow Jacob to steal his brother Esau's blessing because of the father's um, lack of vision. If the apple of your eye is vulnerable, the apple of the eye of these people was even more vulnerable, and they understood the urgency of guarding the apple of their eye. To the ancients, of course, the eyes, uh, the eye was um, super significant, Um, it it was more than just like physical sight, the eye was the window to the soul, I think one of the Proverbs says. Um, You know, extended eye contact was viewed as a threat. Uh, The person staring at you is trying to invade or steal your soul. Uh, you know, we know extended eye contact, as we understand today, is an act of intimacy reserved for a few people in your life, not, not for strangers. To the ancients, the eye was also um, the lamp of the body, kind of counterintuitive. You know, a window lets light in, a lamp shines it out. But it, if you think about the experience of, of vision, you know, if it's dark inside our heads when we close our eyes, and then light enters the inner room when we open them, then you can see how it would be reasonable to consider the eye not just a window, but also a lamp shining light into into our inside space. All to say, guard me like the apple, the center, the pupil of your eye means guard me like you would guard something as vulnerable and as important as the apple of your own eye. That's why it's in this psalm about dealing with the hostile threat of enemies, because that kind of threat makes us feel our vulnerability most acutely. But let's pay attention to whose eye it is. Guard me, the prayer goes, the vulnerable person is speaking to God. Guard me, God, like the apple of your eye. My Jewish publication, Society Translation, capitalizes your, meaning the apple, the pupil of God's eye. Guard me like the pupil of your eye, like you guard the pupil of your eye, God. Um, This is a kind of a hobby horse of mine now, but um, Christians like to pretend that uh, Christianity is like an embodied religion, and that's, you know that's um that's kind of in vogue these days so it's it's an assertion you get a lot from christians whereas judaism is is regarded by many christians as like something other than that that that's a very self-serving comparison um and and it goes kind of like this like like judaism doesn't want to image god having a body so it's not incarnational you know god in flesh appearing oh that's that's Yes, ancient ancient Judaism has an issue with using images in worship, but that's because in ancient Judaism, embodied humans are the image of God. Judaism wants to keep that focus. And yes, Judaism, like Christianity, doesn't think God, who is spirit, has a literal body, but ancient Judaism is every bit as embodied as Christianity. And, and let's face it, for many centuries has been more body positive than much Christianity. And we see that reflected in this psalm. Like um, earlier, I think it's verse, um, I don't know, it's, it's an earlier verse. Somewhere in the Bible it says, Your eyes will behold what is right. Your eyes, God's eyes. Whose eyes? God's eyes. The commands of your lips. Um, who, whose lips? God's lips. And then now, guard me like the apple of your eye. Whose eye? God's eye. So Jesus identifies with the vulnerable. We we sometimes like to brag about that as if that's his unique contribution. But it's not his unique contribution. Jesus is walking out Israel's vocation to image the God who identifies with the most vulnerable and opposes their oppressors. So when the risen Jesus rebukes Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When Paul, remember, was harassing some of the early Jesus followers, the risen Jesus was signaling, whatever else um, I am, I'm still a Jewish rabbi, and you should keep your Jewish credentials too, Saul. When the, when the risen Jesus appears to Thomas in um John t- uh, twenty I think it is uh on that on the uh you know after the resurrection the week or so after, and Jesus shows Thomas his scars you know his his scars on his hands and on his side, even though he's risen, he's driving home this very Jewish understanding of a God who shares carries identifies. In some sense, has experienced our vulnerability, signaling that our suffering, our wounds, our injuries in this world are not a source of shame, and in fact, will have honor and meaning in the world to come. So, to come back to this prayer uh, when we feel under threat, we need two prayers, I think, when we feel under threat from hostile forces, and, and we have both in this psalm one prayer is to vent and to channel our anger i mean if the psalms model one thing they model that anger can be vented and channeled into prayer so yes jesus taught us to pray for our enemies but that did not mean we are to pray for our enemies to succeed in their plots to harm us or other people it means don't let our enemies drag us down into hatred praying for our enemies is a way to rise above their hostility. So this is a prayer for our enemies, the ones threatening us in um, verse 13, using the Robert Alter translation. um, He is like a lion eager for prey, a king of beasts lying in wait. Rise up, Lord, head him off, bring him down. That's Psalm 17, verse 13. Write, Write that on your prayer card and put it in your pocket. Rise up, Lord, head him off. Bring him down. But the other prayer in the face of threat, um, which is our focus today, is a prayer to vent and, and to channel our feelings of vulnerability in the face of threat. And that prayer is guard me like the apple of your eye. Guard me, God, like you guard the apple of your own eye. It's a prayer we can pray insistently Assertively, um, the emotional tone, the posture of this whole psalm. Guard me like the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. So, let's um, let's take some time for meditation. We'll take about a minute once we begin. Uh, here, here's a suggestion if you like a focus for this time. And I always find it helpful to have a focus. For a, even a brief time of meditation, we'll start with uh, in a moment with some deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, and then we'll turn our attention to the words of this prayer. Guard me like the apple of your eye. Actually, uh, a really simple way to meditate is to like not like try to have a spiritual experience, but to just just keep your focus on those words as though the words were a mantra, or as though you were like just trying to, like you'd just been given them and you wanted to commit them to memory and you had them on a three by five card. and You're like, I want to get this down. So um, let's begin by getting comfortable and then draw in a nice deep breath as though, let's think of it as though you're drawing in a breath of God and then breathe out a little tension in your body with each exhale. We'll do that for three or four nice deep breaths. Let's go ahead and begin with that. And now shift your focus to the words of this prayer. Guard me, God, like the apple of your eye. Guard me, God, like the apple of your eye. Go ahead. Amen.